Desideratum is a Latin word, meaning things that are desired as essential. The Desideratum podcast celebrates the art of telling and the journey of listening to stories with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith, Friends. Episode 10, Border Song. And I'm kind of a bubbly and upbeat, but I also have this other side of me that's very interested in the darker. Like I was the, the weird kid reading In Cold Blood, you know? I was so quick, made my parents go on the Jack the Ripper walking tour when we went to London. I'm just interested in the macabre. I'm kind of interested in paranormal. I've always been interested in ghosts. I love haunted houses. Yeah, it's kind of in my nature to be the spooky storyteller, so. <laughs> this is Laura Kemp, whose Yellowwood series is spooky, but also romantic and mysterious. I loved hearing how nature and story setting guide her writing, and which of her many pets is the most clever. Laura Kemp's featured story today comes from before her Yellowwood series, before she started building a place on Facebook called Kemp Camp. 2000, May of 2018, I started Kemp Camp, and, um, and so I thought, oh, I'll try it. And I did, and I just found that I really enjoyed um, the camaraderie there. It's almost like I'm world building, like I build a world that I build in my books. And I've built this, you know, proverbial camp where we have a bunkhouse and we have s'mores and we have funny things that we talk. It's, it's a world and it's positive, you know, give people a voice, people a chance to weigh in on things and then just be genuinely interested in people. And I am, I'm very interested in people and their stories. Okay. A quick pause here, because there are a couple more things I want to tell you about Laura. She's an educator, she's a mother of four, and she has a menagerie of animals. We have chickens and horses and rats and dogs and cats. I love having animals around. And I feel like the more you get, it's almost the easier it gets. Because they're just kind of like, you're taking care of them anyway. So you just got to take, take care of more. Just stay here more, I know. <laughs> and everyone but, yeah. is different. Everyone provides something different into your life. Oh, yeah. Like, we just got rats in there. I'm I'm taking care of them. But they're so cool. They're so smart. And you put new things in, in their cage, and they, they explore it, and they're all over it. And it's like, they're so neat. And people just kind of, you know, discount them. But they're really interesting animals. And who else would know that unless you had a pet rat? So I really like them. Your stories are, are based in nature, is like a character in the story almost. Nature is a character. It's, it's, it's probably one of the biggest influencers of my life is being in the wild places. Makes me feel very, very grounded and very close to what I'm supposed to be doing. In fact, when I'm getting stressed, I go to the woods or go back to the land always, and I'm always grounded and centered. So I like to write stories about people who can find that, those wild, natural, beautiful places. Is that from childhood? Have you always felt that way? Yeah, my dad, um, he had kind of longish hair and blonde and he would, he had a canoe and we would canoe together and fish together. And he would put me up in the branches of the trees and he'd swim in inner tubes to the middle of the lake. And he was just, he just, he taught me 
a lot about loving the outdoors. And he's a very self-sufficient man. He could walk into the woods and be fine for years. He would just be fine. And my mom, you know, loved, we grew up on a lake, always in the water. So yeah, I grew up, said raised by two hippies kind of who loved being outdoors. Tell us about the story that we're gonna to feature today, which is very different from your books. So when did you write it? And just, just tell us a little bit about Border Song. Um, Border Song was written when I was in college. And it, you know, it takes me out of the Yellowwood series a little bit and reminds me that, you know, I've always been doing this. It isn't just the past two years. It isn't camp camp. This isn't something that just happened overnight. I mean, I've been writing literally forever. And this is kind of a nice reminder of that earlier stuff that I used to do. Border song. She stood, watching the dust bunnies come, watched them bare their bucky teeth as they swept from beneath the archaic refrigerator, caught up in the draft her ordinary house dress had created, whirling about in an exuberant vortex. She stood, watching out the window, after the bunnies had scurried to other nesting grounds, where they would nurture their young at a tangled teat and was surprised to see the red Ford pickup of one Joe Cuppy rumbling up the driveway and into her husband's customary spot. She touched her wheat-colored hair, smoothed the faded skirt, licked her teeth clean because she'd been eating lettuce for lunch, and went to the door. Upon opening it, Canton, Oklahoma, entered in all its obliterated beauty, followed shortly by a boy in his late teens, the grocer's son, one Joe Cuppy of aforementioned fame. He was nice-looking, that Joe. Brown hair, all tangled from the dusty wind, hazel eyes staring out from beneath lashes more suited to a girl. And he was popular, had lots of friends, girlfriends, too. But he was faithful to Jenny, the same girl he'd been sweet on since sophomore year. Hello, Mrs. Teagan, he called as he entered the kitchen, passing the worn wooden table as though his appearance were an ordinary ritual in her daily routine, like tending the dead houseplants or ironing Milo's trousers. Joe, she said, reminding him somewhat of a child. What are you doing here? Where's Milo? Joe smiled, and she saw why he had so many friends. Asked me to bring these out as he see into the truck. She stood, uncertain, because Milo did things like this from time to time, and it never ended well for her. Then took a step back to allow him passage and motioned to set the bag down. Please, Joe, she began, and he smiled at her in such a way It made her ears heat up. Call me Claire. Uh, he hadn't been expecting that from a 40-year-old woman. Hadn't known they still had feelings like that. Okay. She smoothed her skirt again, asked him to shut the door, and began unpacking. I can do that, Mrs. Teagan. A sharp look from her, and he reconsidered. I mean, Claire... Now, isn't that nicer than calling me by Milo's name? Joe Cuppy shrugged. 
thinking that maybe women were supposed to like stuff like that. He suspected Jenny would be more than happy to be called a cuppy. I appreciate you driving all the way out here, Claire said, while turning her back to him, giving him ample opportunity to view her tush, which she still considered to be quite remarkable. I hurt my wrist and can't carry worth a darn. I'm sorry, he said quickly, wanting to climb back into the red Ford and forget about doing favors for his father's cantankerous customer, the one who never forgot a slight, no matter how slight it was. Sure beats walking, though. She dropped the line in a casual way, like she used to in high school when she wanted the boys to think twice about her. Walking? Joe Cuppy repeated. It's two miles to town. Sure is. She reached into the bag, retrieved some milk, a carton of eggs, and Joe watched her, wondering if he did this to every woman he unpacked groceries for, piecing together what he thought they were by what came out of their sacks. Claire smiled, reached inside, and felt her fingers brush against what she'd been hoping was there. Pulling it out, she offered it to her young guest. Got plenty of apples. Want one? I don't eat apples, Mrs. Teagan. They keep the doctor away. Uh, he savored the word because there was nothing behind it. Let it flow from his tongue like the kisses he'd planted down Jenny's neck the night before. I should probably just be going. He couldn't be caught here with this lady, not with his hand and her bag of produce and Milo Teagan two miles away, sniffing the air like a rutting buck, because Joe Cuppy had noticed the tush. Quite remarkable. No need to be rude, she set the apple down, turned and opened the fridge, deposited the milk, then shut it again with a smooth motion of her hips. You're half my age. Well, he said while running a hand over his neck, scratching the curls at the nape, where sweat was beginning to gather. I just thought... She laughed. Do you think I'm pretty, Joe? His hand stopped, dropped to his side. Sure you are, Mrs. Teakin, sure. Come on. She turned, let a finger slide down the length of the counter, wistful in its wanderings. Milo used to say I was, but now I'm beginning to wonder. Sure you are, Joe repeated, unable to think of a reason to lie. Sure, Mrs. I told you to call me Claire. He took a step back, answered, All right, Claire, all right. She smiled, reached up to touch the sleeve of his shirt, more a gesture of affection than seduction, and asked, Know who you remind me of? He shrugged again, words gone, inching even closer to the door and the blistering Oklahoma heat just beyond it. Your mama, she licked her lips. Darn, but you look just like her. His heart did a chin-up and came to rest in his temples, where it throbbed with a heated hand. She noticed the look on his face, 
didn't need to elaborate just yet. Yes, sir. She was a looker, too. No wonder your pa snatched her up when he did. Green on the vine. Wait a minute. He stepped forward, away from the door and the heat. You knew my mother? We were real good friends, me and her. He stood, opened his mouth, shut it again. Something the matter? He decided to answer. Let the darn thing that had hold of his tongue out of the bag. No one knew my mother. Claire smiled again. Everyone knew her, Joe. Remembering? Now, that's another kettle of fish. Can you? He faltered, unable to understand why this strange woman living on the edge of town had suddenly become more important than his sterling reputation at Table Rock High School. Can you tell me about her? He paused, took a seat in the old rocker just this side of the kitchen counter. Please. Claire shook her head, letting him savor the uncertainty. You best be going. Now, your pa must be wondering where you are. He don't wonder about me. If you was my boy, I'd keep you under lock and key. Your pa? To hell with my pa. Joe! Well, damn it. He stood again, circled the rocker, stopped, then sank back into it. Looking up, he said, Prove it. What? Prove you knew my ma. Without another word, Claire Teagan went to the lopsided baker's rack that leaned against the north wall and opened a drawer. Inside was a picture, and she carried it to Joe Cuppy, who reached out and took hold. It showed his ma, young, in a summer dress, with Milo's wife, their fingers interlaced. He traced the surface with a pensive finger. Can you tell me? No words. Again. She waited, knowing they would come when he was ready. Why? No one talks about her? She smiled in a nice way, came to the front of the rocker, and sat before it. Want to know how I got my name? He did not answer her question. Couldn't just yet, but found his anger in the next instant. You're what? He stopped, unbelieving. Your name? Her smile was still nice as she leaned one elbow on the rocker, moving it with the involuntary motion of her breath, telling him how she was born in North Carolina on a clear night with a full moon, about how her father looked out the window and thought it was the prettiest thing he'd ever seen, how he named her after his wife's favorite melody. Joe Cuppy sat and stared and rocked without meaning to. The Claire de Lune. Oh, it means moonlight. Really? She smiled up at him, a child again. Listen, the heartbeat was still there in his forehead. I don't have time for stories, so if you're not going to tell me about my mother... Wren wasn't from here either. 
That's why folks were so mean to us. Joe stopped, tried to remember if his pa had said anything about that. Why? He leaned forward, stopped her motion with a hand to the shoulder. Why would folks be mean to you? The Claire de Lune was my border song. Border? He saw there was no sense in making sense, and irritation quickly replaced pity. What in the hell are you talking about? They keep people moving. The whatnots that settled this town heard them, and the ones that kept going, past here and on to the sea. He thought about it, let his mind wander to a time when he'd wanted to ride out and leave the store. His friends. Jenny, even. When I was a girl, I wondered what was on the other side of the hills behind our house. She paused, put one finger to her bottom lip, hooked it inside, and Joe thought she could see him making for the sea as well. If I knew Canton was out here, I'd have left well enough alone. Joe Cuppy laughed despite himself and thought of Jenny as a grocer's wife. It ain't so bad here. Claire Teagan laughed softly, got to her feet and went to the window, stirring dust bunnies again with her passing. Your ma heard him too. He stood, came beside her, and put a hand to her right hip, wanting her to give him what he wanted simply because she could. What was Ma's song? She stiffened against him, leaned back. I don't know. She never told me, but... She turned her head and wanted to please him for no other reason than he belonged to Wren. I think it drove her crazy. He drew back. She blew a hole in your pa's roof with his shotgun, said someone was up there watching her. Joe stepped away, twisted her in his arms so he could see her eyes, and knew she was telling the truth. Pa never said anything about that. What did he say? That she was real sweet and nice, and died in her sleep because bad hearts ran in the family. His words did not surprise her, and still she giggled. Bad hearts? That's a nice way of saying she took down the clothesline and hung herself in the pantry. What? The blood was rushing again, this time against gravity and into Joe Cuppy's eyes, where they filled with a strange compassion. A fear for the mother he'd come to believe was no more than a woman who'd lived long enough to bear him. Your pa didn't tell you? She seemed incredulous, almost taunting. And any thoughts he'd harbored before about giving her what she wanted evaporated with the last mantle of morning mist. Why wouldn't he tell me? Joe was pacing now between the rocker and television set, passing in front of the soap opera Claire watched without the sound. I get stuff out of that pantry all the time. He stopped again, thought on it, and said, He couldn't find her ring. He what? Pa, 
Joe turned on his heel, fixed her with an intense stare, one she suspected made Jenny's knees weak, and said, He couldn't find her wedding ring after she died. Milo's wife stared and said nothing. My aunt told me, made me promise to keep quiet. I didn't know. She continued to stare, her blue eyes going soft, growing large. I don't get out much, and when I do, no one talks to me. Joe Cuppy swiveled, put his weight on his left foot, then drew a disgruntled hand over his face, cursing softly and muttering in a voice Claire had to strain to hear. Can't say I blame him. Milo's wife took a step forward, hurt registering in her face, even after all the practice she'd had at hiding it. You think I'm crazy too? He blew his breath out. Anyone who throws her life away to marry a man like Milo Tegan can't be square. He paused, reconsidered, and tried to make it right. No offense. None taken. But she didn't mean it. Just said the words because she wanted to stay above water. And for the record, Milo promised me a buckskin gelding. A what? She screwed up her nose and gave him a sheepish look. A gelding to race barrels with? He looked on, confused, and she finished with, in the rodeo. She remembered Wren the first time she'd seen her, outside of Tulsa, riding the circuit on a trick pony, her fringed skirt flying high. Claire had wanted the same, all of it. But her son waited, and so she got on with it, asked him if he'd ever thought about life outside their small town. Nope. His voice was rough, and he knew it. But all he could see was his ma, her face so like his own, swinging from the rafters by a clothesline tied with her own hand. There's no sense in it. Pa wants me to run the store when I get older. She smiled as though something had touched her, sighed, hooked a finger in her mouth again. You've never wondered about college? Nope. There's no harm in dreaming. Look where dreaming got my ma. Look where it got you. She shook her head, smoothed the troublesome skirt, but wouldn't look at him. I used to sit in this red rocker and wonder what life was going to be like when it finally got interesting. I realized soon enough that the most interesting people in the world do the same thing, only in different chairs. Ah, Joe Cuppy exclaimed right before storming into the kitchen, making for the door. I just came out here to deliver some damn groceries, and if I didn't know better, I'd say you made everything up so I'd sit and listen to your stupid Claire DeLune story. He paused at the door. Well, if that's the line, I ain't biting. I'm going right back to the store and telling Pa to take me off the list for your deliveries. Claire moved then, quickly and with the grace of the dancer she'd been before meeting Milo. 
She moved between Joe and the door, put her hands to his shoulders, and he hadn't any idea how she came to be where she was. When did you know you loved Jenny? He shoved a finger in her face, right between the eyes, and said, with the low grumble of a bear protecting its own, Leave her out of this. Can't. I'm afraid she'll hear the songs and leave you. One way or another. Shut up. Her words made his stomach turn, thinking of the girl he wanted to marry swinging from the end of something she'd tied herself. Jenny's sweet and nice and has her head screwed on straight. She doesn't mind living here. Your ma said the same thing, just what your pa wanted to hear. My ma was batshit crazy, I'm guessing, to be friends with someone like you. Milo's wife stepped aside, put her hand on the door, and slowly pushed it open. Oklahoma waited just outside. The bright sun, flat fields, and dusty byways. All she'd ever known since turning 20 and following a man west who would never love her. A man who'd never bought her that buckskin gelding and never known how she envied the grocer, his son. But more than that, his wife. I think you'd better go. Milo. He let the air escape his lungs, the huff of a working bellows. You go right ahead. Tell that son of a bitch everything. Don't leave nothing out. When he comes looking for trouble, he's going to get it. She told him trouble was all Milo was ever looking for. Joe Cuppy shoved past her, stomped down the steps, stopped at the bottom and looked back at her standing in the doorway. A Carolina girl named after the moonlight who had the misfortune to marry the meanest man alive and summoned a brief semblance of pity. Why do you stay with him when he beats you? She looked down, put a hand to her mouth, then dropped it along with the pretense. When she didn't answer, he looked down as well, kicked at his tires with the tip of a worn tennis shoe. I know that's the real reason your wrist is no good for carrying worth a darn. Milo's wife looked to the wrist, healing nicely, and remembered the moment Milo had grabbed hold of it and thrown her to the floor. A man, he'd said, had asked about her in town. I guess some troubles are too heavy to let go of. He smiled for the first time since she'd offered him the apple. I don't think that's what you heard when you listened to your border songs. She returned his smile, touched her hair again, wondered if he still found her pretty after the words that had passed between them. Joe Cuppy turned, caught sight of Milo Teagan's truck kicking up a storm at the end of the lane and pulled open the door of his pickup. Once inside, he stuck his head out the window and said, They're halfway between brown and hazel and look like sunlight shining through a glass of whiskey. Claire Teagan didn't know what to say, just stood in her doorway, wondering what had gotten into the grocer's son, hoping he'd be gone before her husband had a chance to ruin it. 
The color of Jenny's eyes, he answered for her. I saw them in my sleep and knew I loved her. She paused, thinking how lucky Jenny was to have found Joe before someone else found her. That's nice, she whispered, knowing he couldn't hear, watching as he pulled out, passing Milo at the wide place in the lane. Claire stood while her husband got out and moved up the steps, a deliberate man who knew his place in the world, wiping his hands on the handkerchief he kept in the back pocket of his bibs. That boy just get here? She followed him inside, shut the door, and answered with a nod. You embarrass me enough without throwing yourself at a kid his age. She didn't reply, went to the counter and began to prepare lunch. Milo, she called to him before she'd really begun, and he emerged from the bedroom. She paused, felt the edge of the knife she'd been using to cut the apple Joe wouldn't eat, and wondered what it would feel like to get out, really and truly. What color are my eyes? Milo paused, looked away, then laughed so loud the neighbors they didn't have would have heard. Darling, the last goddamn thing I've got on my mind is the color of your eyes. She stood for a moment, thought of the hills behind her Carolina home, the way the mist rolled off the rounded tops like chimney smoke. And Joe, halfway to town, and the girl he loved because her eyes were the color of whiskey in the sunlight. Claire, her husband asked. She moved again, knife in hand, and pulled open the drawer on the baker's rack, the one that housed the picture, and reached beneath it. Her fingers closed on the ring, Wren's ring, the one Joe's pa had married her with, the one she'd given to Claire the day she died, and slid it over the knuckle of her third finger. Claire, Milo repeated. She walked to the doorway and opened it, stopping for a moment to look over her shoulder at the man who'd shared her bed for the last twenty years, and knew the only thing she could be grateful for was that they had no children. There, whispered, she said, stepping outside, blue as the band of sky just above the wavering horizon, and shut the door behind her. There's a nice sentiment of longing in there. I, I think of that when I think of the American West, sometimes once again setting becomes a character. I think of the longing that people had to move and then they get to the place that they're supposed to be and yet they're longing for maybe the people the left, they left behind. Maybe they're hearing the border songs and they wanna keep going. The American West and especially Western expansion and the people who've lived on the prairie, it just seems like a song. In that way, there's a, there is a longing, I think, in, the, um, in just the landscape itself. Yes. I had not even thought of that until you just said that. I love that. That's true. That really, I think you really do, wherever you place your characters, that does, that nature, that environment becomes really important to the story. Mm -hmm. It's important to me in my life. I mean, I'm, wherever I am, 
I get a lot of comfort from the land and the natural beauty and every place has a different feel. And I think I'm really in tuned to the feel of the natural wild places where it's not a concrete jungle. But yeah, I really love setting. And I think that you can do so much with it. I think it adds such a nice, rich texture to the story when you really get into the setting because it can, yeah, amplify whatever is going on inside of the character. You can amplify in the setting. Yes, and I think it, it allows readers to be even more transported. Mm -hmm. It's a world. Right. It's world. The world building, just like Kemp Camp. <laughs> it all kind of comes full circle, doesn't it? It all is about yeah. world building, I think. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to think about it. Thank, thank you. you so much for spending your lunch break with me. I hope. Well, you thank you. Thanks Thank you. And the third, the third yellow wood should be coming out hopefully this year. So that's really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find Laura Kemp every day in Kemp Camp on Facebook and find her yellow wood series through her website. Thanks for listening.